Yeah, there's a couple of paths it can take, but guys, I think we're underestimating it. People are like, oh, it's really cool. Oh, that's exciting. It's like, no, 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 dude, this is like the fucking invention of the color blue. Blue is not going anywhere. We don't call blue immutable, but it is fucking immutable. You can't take blue out of the universe the same way you can't take the number six out of the universe. Bitcoin's like someone's just drawn a line, not across the paper, just through the paper and gone, you can't ignore it, even if you want to. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Well, you made it, folks. You're here for yet another hour-long chat full of nonsense, and we hope substance here on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. This week was a freaking blast. Josh and myself, Dan, were joined by yet another Dunworth, this time Michael Dunworth. Michael was the co-founder of the early and successful Bitcoin and payment infrastructure company Wire. He is an extremely articulate and intelligent autodidact, and he's been buying and studying Bitcoin for a long, long time. We hit some incredible topics in this one. We cover how digital environments can fry our brains, why numbers could be described as a species, large language models, quantum mechanics, and transhumanism. BIP65 and time-locking Bitcoin, why and how Bitcoin is the weightiest anchor in the digital age, and why pornography is seriously harming humanity's capacity to go fuck in the real world. Folks with the smaller, less important things in life, like deciding a movie to watch or choosing an outfit, it's okay to make compromises. But with the most important decisions in life that have heavy consequences, like your values, your health, birth control, and the security of your Bitcoin private keys, you should make zero compromises. Therefore, we introduce you to the cold card, the epitome of trust and security in the realm of Bitcoin signing devices crafted by CoinKite. Boasting dual secure elements, true air gapping, top-notch security and affordability, the cold card stands alone as your ultimate choice in the Bitcoin hardware wallet space. Do not compromise. If you haven't embraced the cold card yet, it's time to ask yourself why. You can use code BCB, that's BCB, for an exclusive 5% discount. And you can also explore discounts on various CoinKite products, including their block locks, through the link provided in the notes. Two quick reminders before we launch this one. If you're considering attending the Bitcoin 2024 conference in Nashville this July or Bitcoin Asia in Hong Kong this May, take advantage of a generous 10% discount by using that same code, BCB. And if you prefer video of these chats, you can find us on YouTube. Enjoy this one, folks. Michael, thanks for joining us. Just before we clicked record, we were talking about time and how quickly it gets out of hand, right? I have a, today, I have a 10-year-old daughter and we were just riffing on how short a decade seems to people like, you know, in your late 30s, a decade goes by like that. But when you're 10 years old, that's your entire life, right? And I don't know where I've read this before, but it's something, someone had this idea that it's almost like a time compression that you experience. The older you get, you have this span of you know, decades to look across. So a decade becomes more compressed to you the older you get. The younger you are, the more expanding and larger that decade feels. It's just wild how everything is relative. Dude, it's mental. It's mental. And you know what it is? I asked my brother about this when I was young and I was like, Oi, why does time seem to keep going far, like faster and faster and faster every year? Because every year, one thing we can all say, like whether you're talking to your mom or a kid or anyone, he goes, Geez, that year went fast. Oh my God, they're getting faster and faster. Everyone yes, says the same are. thing. We're getting faster and faster. 
Because what's happening is if our brain is like a finite capacity, like a little jug that we can fill up, then it's like the amount of memories when you're five years old is X. So when something happens, it's more influential because it's only one of five or one of five memories or one of six memories. But as we get older, we cram all these shitty sort of repetitive memories and just, you know, the work grind and all that stuff. So we think what's good that, you know, with let's say retrospectively, we're looking back, hmm, what happened in my life over the last 10 years? Now, you know, if you've had a child or something, then that's a lot more memorable. But otherwise, it's sort of like, oh, well, I went to work. I I went away actually a couple of years ago. You know, you kind of piece it together with these large milestones. But when you're a kid, it's like, oh, I went to the park and then we had lollies with my grandma and then we went and had sausages for dinner and you kind of cram in much more memories. But because our brains sure. are like a finite space, when you make one memory, one new memory that's of a total of six memories, that's going to be more impactful than, you know, another one on the top of the pile of a thousand memories, uh, you know, riding the bus to work or whatever. It's not as memorable. But yes, it's fucking bizarre. Dude, it's so bizarre. We're all like living it at the same time, but we can't put our finger on it. Yeah. Josh, you better also not fuck up this this 10-year situation here. This is going to be formative. Well, if you, sounds like you guys are going above and beyond in your household, huh? We've gone way above and beyond. This is like third day of uh, decade birthday party for her. So she's gotten, I, I think this is going to be a good one for her, memorable, almost over the top to the degree where we're going to owe her something next year that I don't want to pay. You know what I mean? Like I've already, we've overdone it. You know, Josh and I were texting this week too, Michael, and we were saying I was yeah. texting him sort of about the the birthday extravaganza, and he's exhausted and the whole thing. And one of the <laughs> difficult ironies in life is that the things you'll probably cherish the most long term when you're elderly are some of the the biggest grind in the moment. Like I For have sure. two little ones, four and two. It is fucking brutal. It is, it is any parent listening. It is so much goddamn work. You know, it's yeah. going to be a ton of work. Then it hits you and you're like, yeah. I can't believe everybody's out there doing this, but I am going to look back on this phase and cherish it probably more than any other in my life. And I think that is part of the trick of contentment and being in the moment is embracing the grind, yes. whether it's a, a fucking workout whether it's a job that's taxing you, whether it's a goal you're working towards, or it's raising two little fuckers that drain you of every piece of energy, <laughs> you've got to find it in yourself to, to be grateful and thankful and, yeah. and really embrace and seize the moment. But it's hard. Yeah. It's easier said than it's, done. It's good things. Good things come to those who wait sort of thing. You know, it's like there's nothing good ever came without the grind in it, like mm. in, in everything, right? Whether it's like- No pain, no gain. Yeah. Seriously, even like delayed gratification, like in, in, in a broad spectrum is so important because it means that you're doing the work, which makes the reward much more appreciative. Um, For it's sure. like, you know, like that, uh, yeah, like stretching when you stretch, how like, you try and touch your toes. It's really like, oh, fuck. Or like if you're unflexible or whatever, right? I'm, I'm unflexible. So I'm touching my toes is really hard. And then you let it go. And it's like, oh, it feels so relaxing, like this relief. Well, it's sort of like, yeah, I can imagine right now, the bigger the grind, sort of the bigger the mountain you're climbing, which means the bigger the reward. So I can imagine children to be like the ultimate grind because they're literally like a little person. They're like a Tamagotchi or a toy, but real and you have to take care of them. And if they die, you go to jail or whatever because you're meant to take care of your Tamagotchi. And it's like, for sure. But it's like, you know, what's funny about that is uh, it's like the end of every virtue. So if you've got this long time preference, right, that's a virtuous thing to have a long time preference, but it's also virtuous to understand very quickly 
when something's going nowhere and you should cut your losses. So on yes. both ends of that spectrum, if you're not attuned to like, all right, you know, picking up some new instrument isn't for me. This is just a waste of my time. But if I double down and do that for 10 years and never go anywhere, I've wasted 10 years of my time or a business that is you know, not worthwhile. So yeah. being able to understand where to place that grind and where not yes. to place it is just as much of a virtue, I think, as the grind itself. Hundred thousand percent. Back to your comment about toys, too. The one thing about kids is you can't throw them, you can't shake them the way you could, you know, a tool yeah, when you you're working on sometimes. something in the garage. And uh, you're stuck, dude. I, I remember that feeling. Well, we'll get off the kids' topic here, but I remember that feeling. Every parent's had it. You bring them home, you get that first deep breath, and you go, This cannot go away. You cannot put this thing back in the box. This can't be a phase. You're stuck. Literally back yeah. in the box. We were saying, uh, getting prepped for this one, reading your stuff, listening to you, that you're either a, a sort of a brilliant autodidact and borderline polymath, or you're a, a really, really gifted bullshit artist. We're not sure which one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, nice. but uh, but uh, what what's what's your background, dude? You are you are fascinating. I mean, that's the word no, that I comes to not. mind for Look. me. You are fascinating. What what? Tell us about yourself. Introduce yourself. Give us your background. Okay, so I my name's Michael Dunworth. Um, I'm probably both. Uh, not not a polymath, but a brilliant bullshit artist. No, like <laughs> it's like a it's a thing. Like I don't know. So my start. I started out in. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Australia. I worked. Yeah, I went to university. I didn't like uni. I dropped out. I was just really bad at focusing and concentrating personally. Um, and then. Got a job at a financial services. So I was doing like bricklaying and laboring work and stuff like that for ages, which I really love because it's out mm. in the sun and it's really like, you know, the people are good on site. It's just like really nice. Um, and then I went to, I went to, uh, I, I got this job in finance, which is like portfolio management stuff. And then after that, I was like doing a startup and I thought, well, maybe I should go and try and do something cool in San Francisco. Um, because that was sort of where actors go to Hollywood, nerds go to San Francisco. So basically, if yep. you're a nerd, if you're an actor, it's like, oh, go try and make it in Hollywood. And it's like, you can act in your local city, but you go to Hollywood because there's a bigger opportunity. Um, and so that's what I did with San Francisco, went to San Francisco, uh, but always been not a, not a, yeah, a bit of a nerd. Like, I just like, I like video games, you know, I've liked playing Street Fighter my whole life. I've liked playing Mario, like all that sort of stuff. So, um, that's been me. Nothing really to it, actually. Like, just pretty basic. But, um, yeah, that's... There's, sorry, there's an alarm going off background. Um, but, no, th that's basically me. Nothing special. And then I just got into Bitcoin because I thought it was kind of like a gaming currency online. Like, I thought it was going to be like the next World of Warcraft currency or whatever it was. And the I had no clue about government stuff, none of that stuff. Like, so it is totally not in my purview. And when I first saw it, I was like, oh, cool. But I didn't give a shit about it. Like, just standard, like every other human being, right? Yep. Um, and I actually thought it was going to end up becoming more like a currency where I could send it from, you know, if I had a you know, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and I had money in Great my game. account, I could change, oh, I could yeah. send it to World of Warcraft or something instead. Um, and it just kind of made it the, the internet's currency. I didn't really think about it as like government and all this hectic stuff. Um, and then, obviously, after that, I started doing all this stuff, which is really interesting. So, my experience when I built, I built a company with my team over in San Francisco called Wire, and they were an infrastructure provider to a lot of other exchanges. So, basically, the premise was we thought we were trying to build an exchange, and we were like, well, shit, this is a fucking ball, eh? Like, how the fuck is everyone going to do this? They've got to get all these licenses. They've got to go to all this red tape. And we were like, well, 
we'd rather not everyone have to get it. So usually companies will get these licenses in the financial space and use it as a moat and basically say, well, haha, everyone else is going to have to catch up to us and they're going to have to pay millions of bucks and all this sort of shit. And so we're like, all right, um, why don't we try and wrap this up as an API and give it to everyone else in the space so they can move faster? Because if everyone's right. got to take four years to get this shit done, then we're, it's going to be 2,100 before we've done anything. And so the idea was like, well, if we can, it's a boring thing to do, right? Doing all the licensing and compliance and stuff, it's, it's boring, but it's necessary. Like you have to yep. do it if you want to offer the services. So we went and did that and we sort of tried to basically make ourselves the ones that did it so that other people could white label it. Like as in, and now you've got a service that you can access that you don't, you and your team, if you want to start, you don't need to become an expert in how to get all these licenses. You just need to follow the guidance that we give you. And then that was that. And so that was a really good journey. And over that journey, you learn, you know, remember at the end of the day, if you're an exchange operator, effectively, you're sitting at the top of a bank. And you are the crown jewel at the top of a bank. Now, while it doesn't look like a bank, there's no big vault and stuff, but it's a digital bank with millions of billions of dollars in assets under management. And so you start, it start, you start inheriting these new types of thinking, which is like adversarial thinking. Basically, everyone's trying to stiff us. And because you've been running this exchange, you've seen everything. You've seen people's, you know, calling up sick with their grandma on their deathbed saying, oh, mm. my grandma's trying to transfer my Bitcoins. And she's scamming her grandma. Like you've seen every single possible scale of human emotion almost just to get these things. It's like everyone's fucking golem, like the precious, you know, our <laughs> Lord of the Rings. So everyone's shitting on each other and stepping on each other. It's like, calm down, guys. Fucking hell. It's like, you know, yeah. and literally, I, I remember we prided ourselves on customer support as well. So I sat on the phone for like an hour and a half to this mm. grandma trying to get her kid to help her there. Turns out they're all fucking scammers. And, you know, the grandma's talking like she's dying. <coughs> and you're like, whoa, shit, they're really sick. Dude, anything. You you name it, I'm so bulletproof against this bullshit now. It's like everyone calling up. If my mum calls me and she says, hi, how's your morning? I go, who the fuck's this? Is this really <laughs> yeah. mum? You know, you start KYCing my mum. Put it on FaceTime, yeah. you know. And now, yeah. but like now it's fascinating. But So anyway, in, through that journey, what you learn about, you learn that, there isn't really anything like the bells and whistles that we see in day-to-day life are nice, but there's nothing, you don't have anything without security. So the only reason you can have an exchange is because you can secure an exchange. The only reason you can have Bitcoins or own Bitcoins is because you can secure them yourselves and that gives you the sovereignty over it. And so that leaned me more and like working with you know our engineering team, because I'm not a per se technical person by default, and though they were like, really kind of drumming in this security conversation to me because at start you think oh i want to build a cool company and we want to make all these cool features and stuff but there's like there's a business end of town and that is okay cool all that shit's fine but we're not getting hacked and this is a security conversation before it's anything else and so once that kind of clicked into my head i was like oh my god if you don't have security you don't have anything so security is the master stroke of everything like if you Mm -hmm. can't secure something then it's not yours Whatever that is. Let me just go turn this part of my language. This fucking alarm off. Uh, yep. I, I love, like, while he's turning the alarm off, Josh, one of my favorite things Michael does is drops like eight F-bombs and then says, pardon my language on the ninth one. <laughs> pardon my oh, language. I've got I a really bad alarm. tendency of doing that. <laughs> we were talking shit about you while you were gone. I said, one of my favorite things about you when you went on McCormick is you drop like 
eight to 15 F-bombs. And then on like the, the, the 16th one, you'd be like, pardon my language. Sorry, you know I mean? <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, as we see. said before recording, roam free. The, the savannah is yours. Frolic yeah, yes. about, say whatever the fuck you want. He, here's one thing I picked out from your background that I think is interesting. Yeah. And I think it parallels the two of us in terms of how we're wound. You basically articulated, you're an incredibly hungry learner. You're an intellectual. That's your favorite thing to do. That animates you, but you enjoyed bricklaying. There yeah. are people that look at Josh and I and go, this isn't to say Josh and I are smart or it's, it's that our favorite thing to do in life is yep. learn and explore and read, right? That, that is one thing Josh and I share in common. But there's also tactility. Like some of my hobbies, like tactility is a very important thing. What you were, when you were talking about your journey from like bricklaying to the finance world, it kind of made me laugh to myself because it's almost like the opposite of the story from office space. When Peter Gibbons is sitting in an office and like just wants to get outside and hang out, but you know, yeah. stuck in an office and then he starts being a laborer at the end of the movie. It just yeah. kind of cracked me up and, that whole story arc. And it's part of the reason I love being a fireman for me, at least personally, it's this brilliant compliment, right? It's, it's this real world tie, this tactile tie. In a lot of ways, this badass thing I get to do when I go into work and then I do, it does afford a good work-life balance. Then you can really plug into the intellectual side. If you're an intellectual and you're feeling cooped up or like you're spinning your wheels, maybe go lay some fucking bricks. Maybe learn how Dude. to be a, do something with your hands. Get out and exercise. Get, get your body going, right? Get, get, in, get plugged into the real world. You can't change your thinking if you're not changing your environment. So it's not mm. like, oh, I'll open up another Excel spreadsheet. That'll change my thinking. It's like, no, dude, go for a run. Take your brain to somewhere it hasn't been. Make Amen. your back hurt from trying to lift something heavy while the sun's fucking boiling on your face. Like it changes, like those environmental changes, it changes your thought process. Like it has to because you're in a different scenario that you're not usually in. And so I think, I think there's a huge compliment to physical work by the way thank you guys for firefighting that's unbelievable shit literally you teachers Damn. people like that it's fucking awesome serious thank you number two yeah make sure everyone else heard it too so they can say thank you next time as well <laughs> we, we told we told dunworth we're over thanked yeah yeah right, we just good, get thanked good. you walk into the fucking grocery store everybody and their cousin's mother's thanking us <laughs> and then the cops just get shat on they just get shit in their mouth everyone all day so it's one of my favorite things to do is just make fun of the police Everybody loves us. Everybody hates them. You know, they come, they come waltzing into the firehouse once in a while to hang out because they just wish that they were firemen, honestly, because they have to, yeah. they have to not only be hated, they have to sit in their car solo all day. But here's <laughs> the thing, right? If we're all studying and like, cause like intellectual, like think about it, you got intellectual curiosity is the luckiest thing you can have because mm. a lot of people now, we don't have any intellectual curiosity because we're sort of like, Meh, I'm fine. I've got, you know. TikTok or whatever it is, people aren't thirsty for knowledge as much. And so now, but now you can get access to it. If you're a keen learner, you've got a whole fucking, you know, reservoir to stick your straw in and just start drinking from it. It's um, drinking from the fire hose, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, there we go. Finger guns. <laughs> Idiot. It yeah. is funny, isn't it, that we live in a time when literally the entire library of the knowledge of the war of humanity is available to you at any moment for absolutely nothing. But mm -hmm. people will just vegetate on watching Real Housewives. Like yeah. that, that kind of dichotomy just blows me away. And I get it. Like you have to veg out sometimes. Like that, I'm not criticizing people for, I mean, if you want to play video games, you want to watch Real Housewives, whatever it is, sports. But like the fact that we just, we, we have no appreciation for the most part of 
how lucky we are to have so much knowledge at our fingertips and use correctly. You can do whatever the hell you want with it. Yeah. YouTube videos will teach you how to do anything. Oh, I, I want to learn how to put in a door in my house. There's a YouTube video that some dude put together that will teach me step by step how to do that. You'd had to figure that out yourself before. You know, it's just given to you. I, I think in the digital age, the spread on intelligence, maybe this is the best way to put it, is getting wider. And here's what I mean by that. The, the internet allows you to be a, a, as big of a lazy piece of shit as ever in human history. You can do absolutely nothing. You can do jobs that are on a level of worthless that the world's never seen before in the digital age. But if you're a hungry learner and motivated, you also have access to upward mobility from an intelligent skill set standpoint that we have never had before. And so I actually remember talking to a high school teacher. This was last year. And they were saying they've been teaching for a long time and that the smartest kids in the school since they've been around, like would take math, for example, this is a math teacher, said they're, they're smarter than they have ever been because of Whoa. the access that, that they have to all of this different material everywhere. It's very powerful if you harness it. It can be very harmful if you don't, or it, it cuts the other way. Yeah. And when, I was, when you say harmful, there's a couple of ways it can harm you, right? One of the ones is, I think, is complacency. So because everything is sort of, oh, I could just do that. Oh, I just need to watch it. I just need, I just, like that kind of everything being within reach makes people not want to reach for something because there's no journey to go on to reach mm. for something. And so because everything feels kind of attainable, people get almost this paralysis of, they, you see these people that don't do anything, right? They, they don't pursue all the learning they could do because they actually don't know. They don't know what to learn. They're not even sure what they yeah. like. And that's fascinating to me because it's like, dude, it's like you know when you go to net, you go to the movie store when you're younger and it was like picking a movie was the most exciting thing ever. But now it's like you go on Netflix, you spend more time on Netflix choosing a movie than you do <laughs> watching the movie. Because yeah. you have analysis paralysis, you've got too many choices, you don't even know what's what. And so this is a problem when, when we get, like we used to, our imaginations used to drive what we did. So it was like, I'm sitting around on the couch and I go, oh, I wonder if Larry Bird won an NBA championship. And then I'd go onto the internet and I'd dial up the internet and I would go on and I'd find that information out from the non-physical world and then take it back. Now it's like I go on the internet and just get fed an algorithm of music, uh, YouTube videos or Twitter posts or whatever it is, but I'm not choosing Crazy anything. porn, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, dude, but it's like, it's so strange. Like, I'm like, everything's getting fed to us. So what happens is, and the same thing with the internet, there's a beautiful book from marketing book called Don't Make Me Think. And it was an a internet web, like a, basically a, a, a digital marketer guy, brilliant book. And he basically said, you never want your audience to think. So put the button in the right spot, put the button to make it big and red. Don't make me guess where it is, make it big and red. And this premise is actually over time of using the internet, we've lost a lot of our decision making. This is why when someone goes, dude, you could do anything tomorrow, what would you do? And a lot of people are like, uh, 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 they don't really know because they're used to being told what to do either in their professional life or in their social, like social feeds of stuff. So we've taken a lot of decision making away. This has created what I feel like is a ton of apathy towards mm. stuff. We don't have the zest and excitement for stuff anymore yes. because we're sort of piled on with just oh that looks kind of cool that looks kind of cool and our like our brain centers are fried and that's why i feel like if you only do digital work and i'm when i say digital i mean 
you know, if Bitcoin is my creative outlet or something that I think is really exciting, but then my day-to-day work is I do Excel spreadsheets or, you know, I'm working on product at a tech company or something, that's all computers. Your body needs like the heartbeat to start going. That's why I think like something physical mixed with this stuff is really important because it reminds your brain, hey, I've got a fuck another job to do. I'm not, I'm not meant to sit here just inhaling content. Like yeah. our brains, I saw this funny thing the other day. It was like our brains, our brains have been drinking centuries of knowledge every day when we they were designed to walk around the forest looking for nuts. Like, like we've kind of like leveled it up so much. And now we yeah. think like, oh, I wonder how people could get, you know, depression and anxiety and all this stuff. It's like, what do you think's going to happen? We're staring at a screen all day. We haven't thought for ourselves for a minute. And then we haven't like been outside for a long time and gotten some sun and made our heart race and things like that. Just getting burnt out on dopamine, dopamine hit after dopamine hit going through Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is. hundred percent. I, I, rec- I reckon iPhones will come with warning labels in the future. There, there's so many sad examples. Like we were a joke a second ago about porn, but it's a perfect example. I can, we can all think, I can think of people in my own life who are essentially addicted to pornography. They look at it every fucking day and they haven't had sex with their wife or girlfriend in weeks or months. That is a very obvious connection, there, right? You fried yourself digitally. All your stimulus is coming from the digital world and you can't even do what you're most hardwired to do through millions of years of evolution, which is get out there and fuck in the physical world, right? Hey, I mean, bang. get out Literally. there and start fucking, folks. Let's go. Yeah. The kids yeah. used to have to dig through their dad's drawers to find old hustler magazines, and now they've just it's just handed to them on a plate. Like, it's just not about, fair, That's another thing. Yeah. If you think about, like, just the content consumption in that regard, it's mental. And, like, here's another thing. People are so, we're so lost on what to do ourselves. Like, I remember this is something for me. I was always really lost. I always get really worried because at school, people would be like, oh, I'm going to be an accountant. Oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. And I would be like, I don't know what the fuck I'm meant to do. And I never really had that clue. And, like, I feel like that's such an important thing now. It's like, if you said to people, you know, um, if you could do anything in the world right now, what would you do? There's a genie standing right next to you. Most people wouldn't know the answer. Like they don't know what they actually want because they haven't stopped to have a thought about it. And that's not their criticism to them because I'm the exact same. But COVID almost felt like a circuit breaker where everyone stopped and the days got very repetitive and people started sort of like, what the fuck's actually, what am I doing here? And they took their dog for a walk at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday and they went, yeah, 11 o'clock on a Tuesday, taking my dog to the park. That was fun. Why have I never done that before? Oh, because I've been working on And so people started asking these smaller questions. And now people started, you start seeing people moving away from the big cities or whatever it is to go into cheaper areas to live a more fruitful life where they can say, oh, I don't want the apartment. You know, I don't want to put my new family into a small apartment just to be in the center of the city. We're going to make a change. We're going to move out, you know, two hours out of the city local butcher, local community, and go that route. And I think, I think that's one, is super refreshing, but two, I think it's really interesting just observationally to watch how so many people have done that at scale, like over the past, let's say, three years, where it's at least creeped into the mindset, let's say. Maybe not everyone's done it, but it's definitely now people are more conscious, like, yeah, am I, so I'm doing this for 50 years, is it? Just waking up and going to that mm-hmm. concrete building and not getting sunlight? All right, boss, thank you. Like, I think there's a bit more to life than that, possibly. I could be wrong. Maybe not. Maybe I'm an idiot trying to think there is. But I reckon we're all starting to think, oh, shit, 
yeah, maybe there is a little more than just that Excel spreadsheet that's laid and my boss is breathing down my neck and my cortisol's blowing up and now I'm going to age faster. Whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> really? Dude. For sure. Um, looking yep. through your GitHub, yep. you have such a, a wide spread of interesting stuff to look at, but I, I'm, I can't help but think that you were very influenced by Tesla. It seems like you have, yep. which, is, which makes total sense. Tesla is probably, if I had to say, single-handedly the most influential figure over the last hundred years. Who has changed the last century more than anyone else? Got to be Nikola Tesla. Yep. Uh, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on him and what would he think if, if he was alive today? What do you think he would think of Bitcoin? Oh, dude, I've got a banger of a quote. So what would he, first of all, what would he think of Bitcoin? You know, Tesla, I read his book the other day. Not to lie, I didn't read it. I listened to it, um, but listened to his audio book the other day. And he literally says, there's a quote, and I'll find it and send it to you guys. But it basically says that humanity will become, uh, you know, something like humanity becomes complete when we've got a single unified like communication ledger and he basically the thing he's describing is almost identical to bitcoin and it's like word for word and it's actually really brilliant um i will find it for you guys and send it to you but i found like nikola tesla he would if he was around today he'd be all over bitcoin um because it's architected just out of numbers and so like nikola tesla he was sort of like like to give you a gist of it He's like, and I don't know him, but there's many people that know his stuff way better than me. But I just like, as a fan, I was like, oh, this is cool stuff. It is. He basically said that, you know, we're humans, but we're just energy, as, are the, as is a boat, as is this couch, as is this pillow on the couch. It's just a composition of different energy. And so Tesla was like, well, what's the smallest unit of energy or influential thing? And we talk about things like the Higgs boson and, you know, quarks and atoms and stuff. And he's like, well, all that stuff, yes, but that's all arbitrary because at the end of the day, he felt like numbers were the biggest, the smallest elementary particle to the universe. And we didn't perceive them that way. We looked at them more like, just like, oh, it's like a painting or like a picture. Like they just show up there. They're not, they're not like a species. And so he yeah. dignified them with a lot more kind of like, well, let's run this example of if they are real or if they are a species, what, you know, how does that affect us? And he sort of went that path. Mm-hmm. And everything he found was basically like numbers behave like physical objects, just like physical objects behave like numbers. So, so he was sort of like, let yeah. me interrupt you for one second. I'm curious. Do you think that our, your interpretation of what he was saying, does he mean that everything is an abstraction from numbers? Like everything is baseline numbers, but everything we perceive is our abstraction of the numbers. And therefore, uh, the, uh, when you were talking to McCormick, you talked about how he criticized special relativity, but his criticism of it was more along the lines of he's abstracting away from the basis of the mathematics that's there yes it's basically like saying you know relativity or you know einstein's work was much more let's say complex because it had all these things like uh you know atoms and universe and all these kind of things that aren't real like atoms don't exist to an alien species atoms are just something we made up because they don't have the word atom so they right. can't exist to an alien species. Now, there might be some sort of equivalent, but at the end of the day, if we are all on this, you know, this, uh, let's say this, this, this journey through the universe, we've got to think, well, how co- what, what are aliens going to have? Or what is, any, what is everyone going to have in this universe? And the one thing we all have is numbers. So that is like the tool, like, you know, the universe has given everyone numbers out of the box. Like everyone started with numbers. 
Now, if we look at um, why that's important, well, because numbers, if I've got, if I'm in another country and I leave you a, a, a guidebook on tourist sites in that country, and then I lo- we, we get split up. If I know you've got that guidebook, then there's a chance that you're probably going to be at one of the destinations within the guidebook, or maybe we made a prearranged destination. But um, that guidebook is sort of like what numbers are for the universe. Now, it sounds a bit weird, but every number is important for different reasons, and every number only exists for certain reasons. Um, and I think basically what we've done is we don't quantify the non-physical stuff well. So like basically a thought, right? We don't treat a thought like a physical object. When I think about something, it's just like, ah, oh, you thought about it. But reality is a thought is just as much of a physical object as, you know, me swinging my arm around because it takes an electrical current. That's all. So e- encoded in that electrical current is either swing your arm around, Mike, or it's think about, you know, uh, a giant blueberry, uh, whatever the thought is. Like, but basically Tesla was saying that the non-physical stuff is the influencer of all the physical stuff. And just like your private key is the influencer of your public key. Studying public keys is not going to help you. Studying private keys is going to give you much richer insight into how the whole world works because it's kind of the layer behind the, the front end, let's say. And so I've always found that interesting because Tesla was seemingly like, you know, the way that people spoke about him was so hectic. Like he was just on another level. But um, I think that, it was quite important. His frame of reference was very different. He didn't think of it as humans, aliens, and plants and things. He basically said, right, we're all in this database and we're all energy. And we're all a composition of energy in a different way. So we're all vibrating at different different speeds or different lengths, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and most people, at least Einstein's work with the relativity stuff, he basically is trying to, it's almost like a, it's almost like you, you're making this formula E equals MC squared, which is really beautiful, but it's at parity with the underlying mechanics of numbers, which is geometry. And the, the equation for a circle is pi R squared. So MC squared, pi R squared, they're basically identical equations. One's for physical, one's for non-physical. One's physics-based, E equals MC squared. One is numerically-based, which is geometry, which is pi R squared. So it's basically R squared and C squared are the same thing. It's the radius. Um, C squared is meant to be light. Uh, does that make sense though? Like the equations of what what are what basically say is transitive, meaning they're like they've just got um, substitutions. Like you can substitute mm. R for C, you can substitute pi for M, and you're going to get the same answers. Yeah, I now understand. You, about- you you mean that the equations are very similar or are parallel, but they're their end goals are completely different. Yeah. So one is to represent, like, one is represent physical objects e equals mc squared, and the other is just going to be a way of measuring uh, numerical objects, pi r squared, because every numerical object will have a number, right? Like, if it's a one, if it's two, if it's three, which means the way we're going to represent that is with a circle. So it's basically a radius one, a radius two, radius three, and it's like a big circle, basically. Um, and so now thinking about numbers in that capacity where they've got this same equation, it makes me start thinking like, well, is this, does free will exist or is free will just a really, 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 really good puzzle that looks like it's not free will? Mm, That's an interesting point. And I wanted to ask you, so this is going to kind of go on a tangent, but it's on the same topic. Yeah, 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 Matt. So 
ChatGPT, what it's basically doing is curing, querying a huge amount of data, right? Grabbing yeah. what makes sense, bringing it down. If you ask it the same question, it's going to give you a derivative answer, but it's going to be relatively the same. Yep. When have you found yourself, and I'm, I'm sure both of you have, you realize that like someone's asked you a question that's, and you're, you're, you find yourself repeating an answer almost like deja vu. And you're like, holy shit. Like, it's like an LLM. Like you're, and, and you look around and you're like, did, did the same person ask me the same question? Am I answering this differently? The same, like, it's so strange. And obviously we don't know exactly how our neurons are working and firing and but given the same inputs, having the same information, you're giving a very similar output again. Like yeah. it, it's just very strange to think about because that's oh. where I'm going. Like, is this deterministic in a way, like for our own yeah. brains, or is this is free will a thing when you really think about? I don't it think in that- it is. I don't. I personally don't think it is because it's too. It's too like you can predict too much based on the environmental inputs. Because like if I. Like it's, um, I don't think it does exist because we, as we get better, like back in the day, we used to think if I went back a thousand years and I said, Hey, it's going to be pissing down with rain for the next week, you know, and I told some farmers in Egypt that or something, you know, thousands of years ago, they'd be like, bullshit. How the fuck would you know that? And then it starts raining for seven days. They go, Oh, my Lord and Savior. Oh my God. Where reality, <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, it looks like it's impossible to predict because there's so many moving parts, but there is a kick to it. And, you know, we didn't always know how to predict the weather. And so I think it's a lot of cause and effect. Um, I actually think it's only cause and effect. You know, everything is a, literally a direct response of something previously, just like a blockchain. You know, the hash you get in a chain, like in a new block fight, you can only get that hash if you've had the previous hashes because it would be every single element will change the ability for that hash right. to exist well so i think i someone could come up with a counter argument using like say quantum mechanics is always there's some probability right so given a certain yeah. amount of inputs given the same inputs every time just like the llm there yeah. is some uh swath some span of probability about what's going to come out the other end it's never going to be exactly the same but it's going to be within the guidelines roughly you know what i mean so yes i think you could argue from the other perspective saying this is not deterministic because the parameters that are, that are, the outputs are within a certain yeah. set of parameters. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. You're getting, you kind of get a predictable response, but not one that you can predict with 100% accuracy. It's kind of like right. saying you're going to read the room. If I walk into, you know, a supermarket and I pull my pants down and take a poo <laughs> on the floor, the response I'm likely going to get is one that is distasteful and people are going to be frustrated. Seen every afternoon in San Francisco. That right there. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's what yeah, I learned dude. it from San Fran while I was living there. I was like, oh, dude, guys walked into my home. Taking this is how you get free off. shit. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Sorry to interrupt. How brave. But do you, do you know what I, you know what I mean, though? It's sort of yeah. like, well, you know enough about the environment. There's sort of going to be the, the inputs can only lead to so many sort of outputs in a way. So it's not deterministic, but it, it's deterministic down to a range of, oh, it'll be in this wheelhouse. Um, you know, it's like yeah. if I asked if I asked Chat GBT to talk about, uh, you know, tell me about the you know, America's Cup boat race. I'd be really surprised if it started talking about American Pie three and how Stifler ended up, you know, not you know not coming to the party or something. It'd be totally unrelated. And it, I think the biggest question that um, that we get from the LLMs is like. Dude, we're not fucking real. Like, are we conscious? Totally. Yeah, I've had this thought for sure. This, this is yeah, this is the stuff that really bothers me. Right. 
100%. Okay, let's think about it. Imagine I bought you a computer and I go, mate, this is the best computer you've ever bought. You go, really? And I go, yep. And it's got 10,000 features on it. You're like, whoa, that is sick. And I go, yeah, you can only use eight of them, but it's a fucking awesome computer. You'd be like, huh? Well, so I can't even use the computer then. That'd even ha- That's like not even owning it then if I can't use all the features. Dude, people call us conscious. Dude, you can't grow your hair. You can't change your eye color. You can't cha- make your eyebrows grow. You can't remove freckles, bane freckles, get a pimple, not get a pimple, heal your blood. You don't clean that. You don't clean your brain. You don't put yourself to sleep. The only thing that we do is like, oh, I can move my arms. I can open my <laughs> mouth. It's like, so when the fuck did we think we were conscious? It's like, dude, we're still a lemon party compared to what we could be. Like, you know, like, I don't know if you guys know lemon party, but anyway, it's like not lemon party, but it, long story short, it's like, we can, we can be, we can be way better. We're evolving, right? We're evolving to use our brains better, to use our senses better. But until further notice, like I'm in control of maybe six out of 7 million features in this thing. Yeah. We're, we're pathetic meat puppets for sure. To think we're conscious seems like almost like a, it feels almost like ignorance in a way where it's like, oh my God, like imagine being a creator of something and then they go, oh my God. Your Tamagotchi, it's like, it thinks it's real. And it's like, walking around like, oh, I've got free will. It's like, oh my God, dude. He can only move forwards and backwards and he thinks he's real. And it's like- Wait, what the fuck is a Tamagotchi? Is this an Australian thing or am I missing- No, you don't know what a Tamagotchi is? No, dude. Back in the day, dude, you had those little tiny, like, little tiny uh, pets that you could take care of. Yeah, the same thing. Oh, Oh, Dan got the cheap version. Yeah, I got the the cheap version. Dan got the cheap version. I feel, I'm sorry, Dan. This explains a lot. Dan didn't get a Tamagotchi. He got a Gigapet. <laughs> dude, it's Rob. Highway robbery, dude. No, oh, wait. Same okay. Thing, same thing. I meant digital pet, basically. When I said, okay. I feel like saying, oh, sorry. I brutal it. Not an By the way, sense. there's a new version of that now. It's on Roblox. My kids play it all the time. They have these little pets in this little virtual world, yeah. which is making me think that, okay, this is going to make us a lot. This is going to cause some shit for us. But, NFTs will probably oh, be a big deal. In a few, they're they're a big deal, but my kids are like digitally native at this point. They are collecting yeah. all these digital artifacts. They want them everywhere. They, it's crazy. Anyway, what I'm saying is this next generation of like say ten year olds has absolutely no issue understanding digital scarcity whatsoever. It's a thing. Yeah. It's going to be a big yeah, thing. yeah yeah yeah. But uh, besides that, where I was going to go next was Neuralink. I don't know if yeah. you guys saw, but they just implanted yes. one of these things in a human. Yeah. Where is this stuff going? Like, I want I want Michael's thoughts on 50 years from now. Are we just straight cyborgs? Is this transhumanism like following reckon, to its logical lens so I here? Think it's, I think personally, I think uh, it's very, I think it's very dangerous, like doing Neuralink. Now, if you are, now, if you are willing to take the risk, like, um, you know, if you are quadriplegic, if you exactly, are things yeah. like that, I get it. Absolutely. Uh, this is like a new medicine equivalent. You know, when you, if you've got cancer and you're trying to figure out how to beat it, you'll take anything or try anything, right? Jump up mm-hmm. and down and stand on one foot for six hours. Yep. No worries. That's a new cancer sure. remedy. I'll try it. But the problem is going to be when this, when this can start augmenting your mental prowess and Dan gets one and I didn't, you're I'm fucked. Not- I'm fucked and vice versa. Like you can't compete with people that have this device that is enabling them to think 10 times faster, being able to use an LLM in conjunction with their own brain. Now, now you're basically given, we're going to bifurcate. There's going to be the Amish people 
you know, mm. equivalents yeah. who decide yes. not to do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And there's going to be the superhumans who are going to, who knows? I mean, they're going to be going to the stars or something. Or, yeah. I don't know, just creating a giant megalomaniac uh, power structure over the Amish. Yeah. One of the two. Well, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, so I think it's good for the people that are injured and like basically handicapped. I think we don't know the security on it. So there's no way that an RFID tag or whatever it is cannot intercept that. And now instead of like your computer being compromised, you've now got like you've had a stroke. Like that's what happens if someone hacks your neural link. You have a stroke instead of and you die. But like I, w- I do not know any person that would feel confident putting that on themselves. And now I'll tell you what else, Neuralink. Yes, you're going to have the smart friends. But think about your friends with a phone aren't necessarily smarter than you. They know the answers faster than you, but you know that their ability to do stuff is not your yeah. ability. Their ability right. to get to gain information. So I actually think just like phones, there will be a tremendous mental health downside to having something like this not because Neuralink or it's a metal chip because the brain doesn't know how to take so much information in. so the last thing i want to do is give my brain a faster portal to the internet it's going to lead to so much because our bodies don't know remember we're still a fucking evolutionary piece of meat like that's mm-hmm. all we are and it's like it doesn't matter how good our tech can get if we can't synthesize the information without repercussions then it isn't any like iPhones have made us the smartest place on the smartest species on the planet. It's like, really? Well, it's given us access to a lot of information. It doesn't make us smart. What you're getting at, though, I think is at the base of it, you with all the information in the world, if you don't know how to ask the right questions, yep. you might as well be an you're dead. Yeah. yeah no, and information overload is a very tangible problem. Like it's been said yes. that short term memory can only possess five to eight things at once. People go catatonic when they're trying to process too much at once. Yeah. And and it, so it's going to be, there, there's still going to be plenty of room for legitimate problem solvers who can prioritize, categorize, and use the information best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, information overload is already more at play right now than it's ever been. And uh, it's, it's sometimes hard to know even where to start with a project. Dude, a thousand percent. That analysis paralysis. You get swamped with it and you go, well, fuck, I don't even know where to start. And it's like um, our brains can do everything, but it can do anything, but not everything. So it's like you pick the problem, we can solve it, but it's got to be laser focused. I can't do eight things at once. We've gotten yeah. used to this whole world where multitasking is a thing. Like multitasking is like telling me to put my money in something that's not compounding interest. Like what change, change, change strategies every three months. That's what multitasking almost is to your brain. It's like you can't compound or get the meat on the bone. So it's like, um, yeah, but I think, I think going back to the neural link stuff, I think that it poses a new, I get it. It's cool. But I think if you can resist it, it'll be the equivalent of like a drug. You don't want to take it like, because you won't be able to untake it in a way. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think there'll be people that it'll be very useful for, but it's not a toy and it's not cool because another example, think about how many friends' phone numbers you used to be able to remember when you were younger because you um, had to write them down all the time. And so I was like, oh, I know my, my, I can remember my home phone from 1991 or whatever. But, you know, you can't remember the person's phone that you call every day, you know, your best mate or whatever now because we only remember what we save them in our phone as. 
because we've delegated the ability to remember the numbers. We said, we don't need to remember all these numbers anymore. Just shelve that out the back and just remember the name of the person I saved it under. We also see high school kids don't know how to read an analog clock now. And that's not because they're stupid. It's just because they haven't learned it. So when we simplify who we are down to just pattern matching and repetition, I think it becomes much more tangible to understand how we're on the lower side of consciousness. When we, we perceive this like we're very conscious, but we might not be. Now, with Neuralink, I just think it does open up too many doorways for other people to feed your thoughts. Now, that at neural, like we're, I mean, we're already doing that, right? With advertising on TV and stuff. But I mean, a bit more directly, someone's got. You can turn it off. Yeah, it right? feels like you could, you could implant a bad thought into someone's head. And if we have enough in the future, if we have enough understanding about how a thought can manifest into an idea, reality, like if we can connect those dots that seem, you know, um, seem random, then planting a thought in your head, just like the movie Inception, can lead to far bigger outcomes where they plant just a tiny thought. Yeah. I'm just putting this one thing in here. But then this person goes crazy and it looks like, you know, they're an idiot and it's all their fault. But in reality, there was a thought that kicked it all off or whatever it be. Um, so I think that's quite interesting. But I do think Neuralink is, I, I, here's, I think there's going to be natural versus unnatural. So I think there's going to be the natural side of people which don't get it. And they've got a sort of a formula for the universe and that we're quite understanding of everything. Um, and two, I think there's going to be the people that do get it. Now, I'm, I'm sort of nixing. I'm talking about more the commercial use, commercial or retail use, not like med- medical use. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we're going to have, uh, yeah, I think we're going to have a really exciting like 50 years, but we've got some big problems to solve. Like, um, yeah, we've got some big problems to solve. I don't know how anyone could think deploying a neural link into someone's brain is okay until it's battle tested, like in terms of security. Like now you're a walking RFID chip. Like, do you see what happens to BMW cars? People just like, they get those antenna extenders outside people's homes and then transfer the RFID tag or whatever it is to relay the signal so the car opens. It's going to happen with people almost. Um, Unless there's a real, I haven't seen one single conversation around the security around this. This is a perfect segue into the topic I want to hit next, which brings this back down to, to Bitcoin here a little bit. Why? Is and you've talked about this uh, quite a bit with Peter and and in some of your other stuff, but just identity and possession. You've said things like identity has been blown out of the water in the digital age. Keys are the key. We are entering a new era. You joked earlier in the episode about a family member calling and you being like, "Bullshit, that's not you." Until proven otherwise. Talk to us yeah. about this problem, how we solve it, where Bitcoin fits in. I reckon, or well, firstly, I think Bitcoin is the mothership for solving this because it's the most valuable thing digitally and it's the hardest to bullshit. So if you're trying to bullshit me by pretending you're someone, you know, with a deep fake, then, you know, the hardest way to do that is if you're proving that with Bitcoin as part of your proof. But I imagine in situations like this, right, what will happen is right now, you know how you got the recording button up the top, it says recording. There's going to be a little green light on almost every live stream, I think, every time someone's doing anything. And that green dot will almost have like, you can click and it's a cryptographic proof that you are connected to the Bitcoin network. And that's sort of the only liveness test we'll have is if your green dot says, yep, you are running your node and you're connected to the Bitcoin network. Because there's no other way that you can prove to me that you're not bullshitting me. 
in a way. So having this liveness update where I can see that you're running a node and you can see, sounds a bit nebulous, but right now everything is so easy. You can copy paste someone's entire likeliness, like their voice, their sound. And you guys, you guys got a podcast. It's very easy to do because there's so much content. And so now it becomes, well, how do you prove you're you? And the only way it becomes down to, and everyone else, by the way, this isn't a problem for just you guys. This is an everybody on earth problem if we are going towards this way, which means everyone on earth needs to start realizing that the only thing that matters are keys, really. In a digital world, you're not you, you're the keys that represent you in a way. Um, And I think this is sort of the lesson I'm taking away in slow motion is like, oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but it's good to learn. I could see someone newer to Bitcoin or any regular yeah. listener asking this yeah. question after yep. you you talking about how robust and important of an anchor you think Bitcoin yeah. is going to be, not just monetarily, but in tons of other spheres. How and why does Bitcoin provide this strong of an anchor? Can you try to distill that down and explain that for the person that's asking that question? Yeah. 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 So like, let's say if you're ever trying to anchor something, right, you need it. Like the reason why they build buildings on bedrock is because they know that the rock's not going to change. They don't build it on clay and like soft dirt. They find, they dig until they find bedrock. And then that's when they put the pylons in. That's when they start filling concrete because they know the rock's not going to move. So when you don't know that the rock is not going to move, now you have problems with the building on top of it. So that's why we always find bedrock to, I mean, effectively, we're always trying to find bedrock, the most stable footing for something. Because we know if we change the footing of anything, it can change whatever's happening up the top. And so when we're looking to, in a digital world, build a building or upload a photo or do anything, we want to prove that it's on bedrock, basically. And that bedrock is Bitcoin because we both know as participants of the internet that the hardest thing to change is something on Bitcoin. So if we can't change it, then we both feel that confidence to go, ah, okay, you're standing on bedrock, I'm standing on bedrock, now we can start building our house. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's kind of, that's how I think of it. And that's really important because guys, think about how much misinformation there is now in the world. There's so much misinformation. Who is right? Who is wrong? What are the timeline events? We don't really have that. And we always just have a, here's what you'll get, figure it out for yourself. And we get crumbs of information. We're trying to distill it ourselves. But now that's not really the case. We have a ledger of time. So it's like everything that has happened. And as, as Bitcoin becomes more of a dominant currency, that brings more and more of the actions to be related back to Bitcoin in the future. Um, I think, anyway, we'll wait and see. Might not, might blow up tomorrow and we're... Back to rubbing one out every day. Who knows? <laughs> I, we can also do those things in tandem and simultaneously. So yeah, okay. multi-talented. What did I tell you about? You can stack sats yep. to the moon and rub one out. All in, all in a day's work. Yep. <laughs> Bring this thing to a full circle uh, as we round this out. I'm curious if you think Tesla lost his mind at the end of his life. Or no, no. If, we, if he was just centuries ahead of what people were kind of understanding and they just interpreted that as he's just spouting nonsense and he's lost his mind yeah it's there look that happens when we're scared of anything right we look like people have gone crazy but sometimes the crazy people haven't gone crazy and it's our own lens that has been let's call it smothered um and i think i think he didn't go crazy i think he had a very good understanding of everything 
but his lens was different. He didn't think of it like humans, Australia, or things like that. He basically imagined it like, all right, this is the Hunger Games. I've been dropped in here. My name's Nikola Tesla. What the fuck's going on? So he says to Australia, there's just some cuts calling me a human cook. Don't really know it. They're bigger than this. What's up there? The stars. Okay, what's out there? Okay, I'm obviously in this gigantic Hunger Games right now. What has everything got in common? And he goes, well, right, everything's got to be energy because this whole thing is energy. So he's like, all right, well, what am I made out of? And then he like goes, oh, I've got a spark running through me. That's energy. Tick, tock, tick. Like, you are a clock. Tick, tock, tick. The same thing. So as he starts, he didn't have an ego to say, well, I'm a human, so I'm better than a plant. And I'm a human, so I'm better than a dog or whatever. It wasn't like that. It was like, oh, dogs are another type of energy. Just like, you know, dirt is another type of energy. And so he gave everything this label. And then he thought, well, right, if everything's got this same label, then everything must be bound to this same behavior, which is energy. Or if we're thinking about it cryptographically, let's think of all the keys on Bitcoin. They must all be bound to the same behavior, which is they've all got a generator point when they, you know, when the keys created an elliptic curve key goes against this same generator point, a common point. Um, I just felt like Tesla saw everything as an energy component or, you know, a magnetic signature, let's say. I don't think he went crazy. I think he was sort of, um, uh almost sad like in a way like it's almost like he just mentally lost the the i don't know if he was lost faith but it's just like look like just so frustrating to be him almost because he's like guys there's another way of looking at it everyone's like we can't make money that way fuck off and he's like but trust yeah. me dude this is sick um i'll find that tesla quote for you about the bitcoin blockchain by the way it looks like he's literally talking about bitcoin i'm not even joking yeah can't I'm wait can't wait to yeah. see it we'll include it in the show yeah. notes when you send it over uh, yeah, before yeah, yeah. we let you go, and we yeah. typically do a fake last question. I'll tell you this is the last question, and then Josh will probably chime in with something else. But good. Uh, w- what makes you most skeptical or concerned about Bitcoin? Let's steal, man. Let's take the other side here. If this thing fails or doesn't yeah. doesn't achieve the potential, you feel it probably will. Why is that going to be the case? I think I think it becomes uh, Bitcoin fails if well obviously if cryptography fails uh, that's a big one so Bitcoin can't keep going um, Bitcoin would have to be really coerced and or we would have to be disinterested with it so mm. like you know we humans apathy is a potential risk of killing it so people lose interest in it people lose interest in the journey or find a motivation not to have a sound money. That's a that's probably the biggest, the deadliest weapon is apathy. I'd say we are its host. Exactly, leeches die when what they're latched onto dies, and a hundred percent. So we get on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. If we lose, if we stop getting entertained by this toy, like you know, like the humans are, like we are, we're like, oh, I'm over that. And then it's like, well, that's just it's gone. Now some people might mine for novelty value, but it's gone. Um, But yeah, I think. Bitcoin can break under, you know, cryptographic reasons. I think it could break uh, or you not be around. The dream could not be realized if uh, we had a breakthrough potentially in something else, like some other field where it was consciousness or something like energy. Because here's the risk to it. The biggest risk to it is that money becomes not a thing. Mm. And and yeah. I, I don't say so because that's it, its building block. Its sole purpose is money, let's say, and all the derivatives mm-hmm. that come with money. So if human beings find a way to get along as a civilization without the need for money or a record-keeping device, which is very hard to think about, but stranger things have happened, um, then that's when uh, then that's when Bitcoin has a problem. But 
humans not needing money is likely the result of some great amount of harm- harmony between them where they figure yeah. out how to complement resource balancing or something like that. And they go, you know what? We figured it out. Right. Or we find some enormous energy resource that we, nothing, be, it's not an issue anymore. We, we don't exactly, need to. Exactly. Exactly. And now because we yeah. only have, like, this is something we've talked about, but, you know, we only argue over energy. Like people are only shooting each other and stuff for resources. Like if you flood them with resources, meaning they've got every energy in the world, Dude, I don't know about you, but I'm never going to go attack someone that's got an infinite amount of energy. That seems like the stupidest thing ever. And vice versa. I wouldn't think someone's very smart to attack me if I've got an infinite amount of energy. Um, So there's a couple of paths it can take, but guys, I think we're underestimating it. I mean, like if I could describe it, it's literally like people are like, oh, it's really cool. Oh, that's exciting. It's like, no, 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 dude, this is like the fucking invention of the color blue. Like blue is not going anywhere we don't call blue immutable like it's like but it is fucking immutable you can't take blue out of the universe the same way you can't take the number six out of the universe bitcoin's like someone's just like drawn a line not across the paper just through the paper and going and it's like like fully ripped the paper it's like you can't ignore it even if you want to and it's like i don't it's, I don't know, I'm not married to it. I don't give a shit of it. Like, I mean, I obviously really want it to succeed, but it's like, I'll have to figure it out if it doesn't succeed. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's not even an opinion. It's, a, it's like people are like, oh, how can it do that? It's like, bro, look how much fucking energy is going into it. What do you want me to say? Oh, yeah, it's going to die tomorrow because you got the shits with it. Dude, this thing's a behemoth. It's swallowing up everything. Like, it's, it's goal. I was saying to someone the other day, they were like, oh, what's a good metric? And I was like, to- 100% of total consumption of energy. That's basically what it's going for. <laughs> it will go that way. Yeah, we, don't, we don't even know that it's going that way, but that's, it's like, yeah. and we're like, oh, how cool is our little pet? Look at it taking all this excess energy out of the volcanoes. And it's like, bro, I'm coming for your house next if you don't have energy for me. <laughs> I don't know if I was if I heard you say this or if I read it on your GitHub, but you said something to the to the effect that after the year twenty one forty, a single sat because of the gigantic amount of energy that will be going into if, uh, of course, we're assuming Bitcoin is still around in the year twenty one forty. If it is, if it has survived, mm-hmm. yeah. the amount of energy going into this one sat worth of energy will be immense, like astronomically Bonkers. immense amount of energy at that it's point. Ten minutes of the energy of the world. That's it's nuts. Like at that point, one sat is representing ten minutes of Earth's energy mining, like or energy commitment to Bitcoin, let's say. And if it's the same size as it is now, which that would make it just ridiculously gigantic. But if Bitcoin keeps going and the energy keeps going up, and we keep committing more and more thermodynamic power, blah blah blah, blah, blah then one sat is going to be like the size of a black hole like in terms of amount of energy that should go into it, like just some stupid number. I actually tried to ask this to chat GBT. I said, if we, made, if we converted the amount of barrels for oil, because basically we pri- I was pricing barrels of oil in Bitcoin and how much you could buy with Bitcoin, which was basically going up a lot. Like in, you know, if you one Bitcoin buys this many barrels. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, what does one sat buy in 100 years? And it was like, yeah, you could go around the universe three times. And I was like, okay. So that, that's heaps. Okay, cool. Yeah, nice. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That, that's like, that's a thing. Like, it's going to become like that in the future. But here's the thing. We talk about like all the shitty problems we've got with money today and stuff like that. That's why 
you know, Bitcoin's got this thing called time locking, which is BIP65. And it basically means you can create a Bitcoin wallet, like, you know, generate a private key and a public key. And then you can say, hey, here's my public key. Lock it. Uh, let's, I want to create a time lock till block number. And then you type in the block. And that could be block number 7 million, which is in 100 years or whatever. Or it could be block number 700,000. Um, but what it does, it basically creates a wallet after that. And any money that goes into that wallet won't be unlocked until this time is reached. And so what we can do now today, like you see people spamming Satoshis to each other. Oh, send us 100. You know, they spam one Satoshi to people as like an advertising thing almost saying, you know, visit, you know, webcams.org or webcams.triplex and shit. But that one Satoshi is 10 minutes of the world's energy in the future. So when we think about what we can do to keep the chain going and people say like, oh, the block reward runs out and stuff. Sure, the block reward does run out, but there's a shite ton of rewards already time-locked there, astronomically large amount that supersedes the past 40 years of, you know, block production. There, I think that's okay. That conversation's okay now. Um yeah, but it's interesting to th- it's interesting to think about though these time lock sats because I think the most important metric on Bitcoin, like as a health score, is either how much energy consumption difficulty or it is the collective like days destroyed. So days destroyed is that metric where it basically means like the coins haven't moved, and mm-hmm. so when the when we when the coins haven't moved number goes up, that sort of says to me, and I'm not the analyst, but. To me, that says that the market or the awareness of the coin holders is getting smarter, meaning they don't want to move as much, which means someone's educating them to say, dude, don't fucking move these things. They're meant to stay there and you sell them in you know, 50 or 100 years or you won't ever need to. Um, and so that maturity is really important. But I think the day's destroyed metric is really powerful. And that's what time-locked Bitcoins can do. They can increase the day's destroyed. Um, yeah, so... I don't know. It also makes it interesting as like a canvas. Like what happens when you give a society, you know, a hundred million times the block reward of 10 minutes? Like if there's a bounty there, like imagine what happens tomorrow, right? If the Powerball goes, hey, there's a $10 trillion Powerball and you're like, I don't care. We know that the odds are not one in 10 trillion. So we are buying them and we are hedging. Hey, Josh, did you get some? Yep, good. I'm going hard with you. Dan, I'm going hard with you. And we're all just making sure whatever happens, we're mitigating our risk as much as possible. Yeah. Start collaborating um, so, in a sense. Yeah. Because of the bounty. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so there's a big bounty at the end of the Bitcoin blockchain like that. And with the idea that we have so much time to see it coming we'll be able to all bend around before the time comes to make sure we've all got the Powerball ticket. Um, because the idea is that this coin, there's coins time-locked into the future very far away and everyone has the private key. So equivalently, it's kind of like giving everyone the winning Powerball ticket and just saying, hey, first to cash it wins. <laughs> and so now we all go, well, fuck, I'm not going to be first to cash it. How do I get close to a miner who would be the first to cash it? Because miners would wind the block, right? So now it becomes a case that with the miners, if there's 100 miners at the time, they're going to figure out, well, fuck, I don't want to miss this Powerball or Power Bitcoin or whatever it is, you know, this massive explosion of rewards. So what they're going to do is say, well, hey, let's band together and let's all create a multi-seek. So if you win it, I get a bit, you get it, you win, um, you can give something to him, I'll do the same. And then like local, local people will do the same. I think it's just going to end up being like, take, give us like 50 years to make a massive multi-sig so that everyone can get a cut of yeah. the 
fruits of the labor. Anyway, that's a bit of a wrap. It could be real, really entertaining. I mean, we won't be here to see it, but no, we can set up like, an inscription into that block that has a clue yeah. as to how to find these things. Yeah. Ready player one. We've talked about it before. Yeah. An Easter egg hunt. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you, these these Dunworths make you want to stack some sats, don't they, Josh? Holy cow. Yes, they do. These guys know how to ride a bull. Dude, no, but I'm, this thing, well, look at this. We don't know how to break it. Think about that. Imagine if you could invest in something that is unbreakable. Now, we think yeah. of like hard steel and shit, and it, man, that's, that's cool. But like literally, it's like, hey, we've invented this thing we don't know how to break. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, do you think you want a cut of it? There's like 21 million pieces. Yeah, I'll look into it later. Dude, that's, <laughs> and that's what happens. It's like, fucking hell, I know, dude. it's wild. <laughs> yeah. Dude, people, it, it's just like we talked about earlier. You can give people all the information you want. Yeah. But if, if they don't appreciate it or they don't want it, they're just not yeah. going to act on it, you know? It's, it's a horse to water type thing. Exactly, exactly. But as well, I get it. Like, you know, on face value, it's like, oh, dude, fucking read this, hurry up. But it's like, you know what? Everyone's got so much going on. Like, just money's hard. Inflation's hard. Work is hard. What, you know, job security. And it's like, sometimes I, I, I totally get it. I know, I know what you mean. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, hopefully people come around to it whenever they get the bandwidth mentally. And that's when I'll be like, ready to shilk. Do you understand the paint's fucking walking out of the walls here because I talk to it so much. My parents don't answer my calls anymore. <laughs> no one wants to talk about this shit. So I'm like, <laughs> now the only people I got to talk to is my dog and the dishwasher. So and a couple of loser firemen all the way across the ocean. Yeah. And you guys. Dude, you can hit us up whenever you want, man. Yeah. How good. No, it's good though. It's a, look, how blessed though are we to be, mm. to have this intellectual, sti- like little fire that burns every time you wake up there's a little campfire in your brain burning like you know what are we going to learn today about bitcoin or what's going to happen today and you're so excited it gives you like a zest for life maybe i'm just maybe i'm a boring person and this is you know this is the thing that gave me zest but i reckon everyone's getting that little flame lit up when they start learning and they're growing a bit more it's a new topic it's a new path of thinking i think it's quite refreshing i think it's actually been really really helpful to like mental from a mental health perspective it gives you something passionate to chew into it gives you something to think about it challenges you a bit so mm. i think we're really lucky to have it i think so too michael this was a pleasure my friend uh, guys hope thank to do you it, hope to do it again anytime like i said the paint's leaving the building so i'm happy to talk <laughs> to you guys whenever you listen is the paint blue not anymore it's not <laughs> no no it left <laughs> this was a blast enjoyed every second of it I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, thanks again for firefighting. That's fucking sick. It's pretty cool. <laughs> we enjoy it. Thanks for thanking us. We really appreciate it. <laughs> it gets that ego pet just slightly, you know. <laughs> awesome, guys. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Okay, that concludes this week's episode. What an absolute banger that was. These Dunworth blokes are true legends of the space. Maybe we need to get the two of them together. Food for thought. If you are enjoying this show, you can genuinely support us by taking just two minutes to like, subscribe, or leave us a review. And if you're not earning free sats for listening, it's time to start. Explore Blue Collar Bitcoin on all Podcast 2.0 apps, with the Fountain app being our personal favorite. Until next week, get out there and fuck in the real world, ladies and gentlemen.